Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple friends and profs and scholars, pastors, dig into the lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday. Whether you follow the lectionary or not, it doesn't really matter. It's usually going to be a seasonally appropriate text, and especially so this week, because this is the episode prepping for Palm Sunday, also known as the seventh Sunday of Lent. And my special guest this week is Brannon Hancock. Brannon teaches uh, worship and practical theology uh, at Wesley Seminary with me. Just down the hall, we have taught together for years. Uh, even before he came on full-time, we uh, co-taught a few classes uh, even before that. So he and I have been working together a long time. He's an old friend. We play music together, and I love being with him and love talking with him about ideas. He's his Two of his main areas of specialization are liturgical theology, which is the fancy word for worship, uh, studying the practices of worship from a theological perspective, as well as political theology, which is uh, the theological exploration of political realities and practices um, historically and presently. Um, so these are kind of areas of great insight for him, and that's why I uh, really wanted him to be on for Palm Sunday, which brings up all kinds of fun questions of both worship and politics. So I thought it'd be kind of a fun conversation. So we hope that uh, you'll uh, enjoy this conversation, and welcome again to Fresh Text. Here we go. Yeah, so it's your C starting focusing on Luke. It's the seventh Sunday of Lent. And so there's this choice, of mm. course, and we might talk about that later, mm. but I went ahead and made the call to go with Palm Sunday and not do the Passion Sunday thing. So we'll get into that later if we want. Um, but yeah, so it's Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Luke 19, 28 yep. through 40. If you're willing, I often ask my guests unless they, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm polite. So you can say no, (laughs) but would you be willing to read the passage and then I'll pray and then we'll jump in. Yep. Hopefully you have some thoughts to get us started. (laughs) Well, you're all right, man. (laughs) (laughs) And you have your, uh, what parallel, what are you using there? Well, you do you, I do me. I know. What is that? (laughs) This is my, this is my, uh, synopsis, the four gospels, uh, so and you have what, it has Greek, Greek and on one side, English on the other. Yeah. Nice, and it's got the parallel passages. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and already all marked up from years right. of geeking out on this stuff. Is that a part of a series, or is that just one? No, it's just one. It just has a whole New Testament, just the whole yeah. the Gospels in it. So, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Ruby. All right, go for it. All right, I'm reading the NRSV. Is that okay? It's great. Your choice. Luke 19, starting with 28. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. 
So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's great. Thanks. Uh, let's pray. Yeah. Father, we give you thanks for your incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks for the inspired written word of God, specifically the gospel according to Luke that we've read from today. And we give you thanks for the exchange of human words between friends as we explore what the scriptures have to say to us, what your living word is speaking to the churches in our own time. Father, I ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit that Brandon and I would be given the uh, insight and even authority to open the word of God for the people of God. And the same would be upon all those who listen in that they would be ready to receive what it is that God has to speak to them and that they in turn would be bearers of the word uh, in whatever way and place you send them. These things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, our usual sort of structure of conversation is just the classic kind of threefold observation, interpretation, application, so to speak. Um, so, and we even take a little break, just a breather at each moment, you know? So we just start with some observations, like what strikes you, you know, and then we'll geek out and chase down some bunny trails in the middle. And then we'll talk about worship and preaching at the end. Is that cool? Sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, uh, like you said, you wanted me to get you started, but I'm still going to be a jerk and ask you what sticks out to you. Like, <laughs> what do you notice? To me? What, Cause even, you know, a fresh reading, the whole point of fresh right. text is what do yeah. we see maybe that, that jumps out at us, an old insight, maybe a new one. What, what what struck you as you were reading today? I think the the first moment is his instruction, you know, his anticipation of the <laughs> the question and instruction just to say, the Lord needs it. Like, I know. they're going to ask you, what are you doing with this, you know, this cult? Why are you, yeah. you know, why are you taking our cult, man? And just like the Lord needs it, like they know who the Lord is in this yeah. case. Who is, who are they talking about? Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. And then it. it happens exactly the way he as said. as he said. And it's so <laughs> it's so funny too because it's it's got such a like a it, it kind of miracles up an otherwise quite mundane little story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. hey, go go get me a colt. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Um, actually, suddenly it makes me think even of the you know when he sends two people in to prepare the meal a little bit later and, mm. and follow the man with the jar mm -hmm. and go into the house yeah. same kind of thing where it's like these very mundane tasks yeah have this kind of mysterious even miraculous kind of layer to them yeah um although even still it's a very mundane miracle because it's like obviously 
Like you, you look just, hard enough, you'll find a cult. Yeah, right. But even it's that, gotta be one but even anticipating, out. like it, I don't know if it requires a miracle on Christ's part to anticipate that someone might say, "Ask, hey, why are you taking my dang cult?" Yeah. <laughs> right. You wonder if there's a longer. I, 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 I wish. I wish is maybe the wrong word, but I, I wonder mm-hmm. if there would have been a longer version of this story, you know, mm-hmm. that's been summarized down in written form, but yeah. where it was, you know, and Nathaniel said, you know, they had the king, um, but what if they ask us, right? Cause you could, that's right. a common way to do it. It's actually right. kind of strange that you don't have that. Like, but what if they say, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. why are you stealing our cult, man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just say the Lord will need it. And then they yeah. say, but what if they don't <laughs> understand? Yeah. You know. What, what, what Lord? <laughs> Which Lord? Who are we talking about? Who's, um, yeah, it makes yeah. you wonder, like, I mean, again, I almost want to take the miraculous explanation out of the equation and just wonder, like, you know, did Jesus even have a conversation with someone? Was this planned? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, same with the... With the upper room. Yeah. The upper room thing. That totally has this vibe of, like you know, insurrectionists and like secret yeah. connections. And yeah. cause there is a kind of, you know, yeah. uh, the tensions are high here, you know, mm-hmm. the, so it's yeah. like, Oh, I have allies, you know, nothing of disciples, you know, <laughs> like it has that kind of vibe to it even. Yeah. The, uh, that is strange. Yeah. That's kind of humorous in a way that just the, the Lord needs it. And then there's no, you know, no objection that at least we're told about. Um, I wonder also about the significance of um, it being a colt that has never been ridden, yeah. <clears throat> you know, yeah. a young horse that's never, never. You will, you will find a colt that no one has ever sat on. Yeah. Yeah. Like a virgin colt. That's, that's yeah. exactly where my mind was going. Like this is, there's almost like a little echo of the, of, of the virgin <sighs> birth here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, in this kind of like pristine, as if this is this vessel that yeah. has this one task. It's yeah. like it was prepared for this one thing. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Um, like an unblemished Paschal lamb, too. Yeah, right. Right? Mm-hmm. Where it's not, again, it's not about the, the moral perfection of the lamb. It, right. It has more to do with the fact that it's had no other purpose. Right. You know, it hasn't been used for, for something this. else. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 That's at least, that's one way to tie it. Oh man, dude, I'd never even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. That's a fresh insight (laughs) for you. Isn't that the cult? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The virgin cult on which no one has ever sat. Yeah. And interestingly, we don't have to go here now or we don't have to chase this down, but um, that detail is not in Matthew. It's in Mark and Luke. Interesting. It's cult. Actually, Matthew in classic Matthew fashion, whenever there's one thing, he likes to have two things. So there's an ass and a cult. Oh, for some reason, <laughs> obviously weird. Jesus isn't, is he writing on both of them? Like, like, I don't know, I just <laughs> but, uh, that yeah. is weird. Yeah. Um, well it, it's cause of the, it's, it's, he quotes, uh, Matthew quotes, uh, um, something from Zechariah, you know, oh. tell daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming to you humble and mounted on an ass on a colt, the fowl of an ass. So it's like, uh, huh. it's the Hebrew parallelism oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. has two different names for, yeah. you know, that kind of, I think maybe kind of tempts him to like want to, hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain that, but it sure is kind of bizarre. And the no one ever wrote on it thing is just this kind of really, you know, this just detail that he just pulls out mm-hmm. maybe because he's focused more on the two instead of one thing. I don't know. Hmm. 
it's weird. It's weird. Um, we don't have to do anything with that if we don't want to, but it's just bizarre. Um, yeah. So, so that whole dialogue and him anticipating this problem is the thing that caught your eye first. How about in the, then the scene moving on, like into verse, uh, seven, right. Then they, again, all these little details, right. Yeah. Brought the cult to Jesus, put their garments on the cult Mm -hmm. and then they put him on it. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, then he starts to ride along and they, and people then are throwing out their garments on the road. Yeah. What jumps out at you there? Anything of interest? It's okay if not. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it makes me wonder, since I'm not immersed in sort of first century culture and, and history, what the significance of them laying their oh, yeah. cloaks on the road, you know, is that kind of a equivalent to, you know, rolling out the red carpet in the modern day. I mean, is that the only significance of it or would this be an unprecedented act or Uh, would this be a normal thing that they would do to honor a King or someone important riding into town? Yeah, I've always assumed I've always taken it. And I think I've read enough to give me confirmation that this is a kind of standard thing to do. The difference though, between like that and red carpet Mm -hmm. expression Mm -hmm. is like rolling out the red carpet, I think is more of an act. And there even was carpets that would have been rolled out. That's not, that was mm-hmm. around even in, in the ancient Near East. Um, that would be like something the servants of a king would do mm-hmm. formally. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's about welcoming, mm-hmm. you know, someone. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the coats is got the vibe of, I mean, I think it is hinting at this is, this is his solidarity. This is the people's leader. Right. Because mm. it's just, it's just, he doesn't a, have servants. That's right. And before pilot, he says, I don't, exactly. you know, I don't have servants. Yeah. <laughs> if, I'm yeah. not that kind of king. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if I did, the servants I do have would be, you know, fighting you right now. Right. But mm. like, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's not. So he doesn't have servants to roll out the, the formal Royal red carpet yeah. there. It's a makeshift, uh, uh, folk, act of right of uh solidarity with them yes yeah this is the people's leader coming in um so i think that's what's that's why the coats would be relevant as mm-hmm. opposed to some you know special uh you know expensive carpet that would be coming out yeah for that would be an already established leader this is the people's leader coming in yeah to and this this has been done before like okay. people coming in i don't know about the garments part but i mean mm. the idea of you know like you know uh uh, Jacobus Maccabeus, mm. you know, he rode into town yeah. to, to, to kick out the Romans, you know, after he'd won, you'd come in and say, you know, now we're so that this, this kind of notion of like the people's leader, mm-hmm. uh, a revolutionary, this is very much, the symbolism here is very strongly yeah. creating expectation mm-hmm. of, of revolt yeah. during the Passover yeah. feast when the, when the, when there's a, critical mass of, you know, uh, Jewish, uh, pilgrims gathered to engage in a popular revolt against the pilot. And so, I mean, he's feeding the, he's feeding that expectation. Sometimes we get on the case of the early, uh, followers of Jesus and we, we get real like, Oh, he's not that kind of leader. Like why'd they think he was doing a political thing? No, it's a spiritual thing or something like that. It's kind of like, 
Well, he kind of did all the stuff that would make them think he was yeah. going to... turn over the tables yeah, and the temple right. and the... All his actions are signaling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I, I feel like, if anything, the question he's put to Jesus, why are you feeding these hopes? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. If that, if you're directing their hopes somewhere else. Yeah. Like, this does not look like everything he's doing is just signaling it mm-hmm. over and over and mm-hmm. over. Yeah. But then the cult kind of undermines that in a way, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting question. I've heard I heard someone say I, I haven't done enough research to absolutely confirm this, but I did hear once that a, you ride a horse into town if you're planning on destroying the town. Yeah, and you ride a colt into town if you come in peace. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so and they say peace in heaven. Yes. And, you know. Yes. Also, so he's not on. Loop. He's not on a a a, a, a war animal. Yeah. He's not. You know. Yeah. He's not on a horse that's coming in for battle yeah i'd have to look into it but of course you know if he was coming for um the removal of the romans would be peace as far as the jews were concerned sure (laughs) true shalom for in most of their minds is yeah we're self-governed and yeah divinely governed yeah 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 so it could just be because i mean i'm sure the i'm sure a lot of people would hope that that there could be a a you know, bloodless revolution that they could just scare the Romans enough to run off, yeah. you know, um, good luck. Right. That's <laughs> how the Romans roll. <laughs> yeah. 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 Peace in heaven. Yeah. That fits. Yeah. I was really, I never noticed this before. I don't know why. Verse 37. And as he was drawing near at the descent of the Mount of all. Yes. Yeah. Right. So like, Luke identifies the exact spot and definitely mm-hmm. planting seeds. We're going to see this place again. Yeah. Right? This is where he's going to pray. Yeah. This Approaching is. Approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives is what. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask if you had any insights about that as well, because um, obviously that's a significant spot. Yeah. I immediately wanted to look and see if Luke places the, um, the garden prayer. Mm-hmm in the at the mount of olives you know because yeah. it's some the language of gethsemane who is took, used in some who I took know, a bite who took a bite out of your bible and not only bite out of my bible but bite out of luke in particular so yeah. this might not work i have no idea how that got ripped but it definitely looks like a dog or like <laughs> or, or like you had a piece of gum in between the pages oh, and then yeah. it like ripped the <laughs> i don't know the story man it's it's so weird so this may not even work but jesus arrest yeah um they Jesus betrayed by Jesus. Here it is. Here it is. Garden of Gethsemane. So this is this is Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. As was his custom. Yes. And the disciples also followed him. And I believe earlier there's a scene where he's on the Mount of Olives giving a teaching. Mm. So there's a kind of back and forth, right? He mm-hmm. goes in. He comes out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is like his spot kind of on the edge of town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which again has this kind of, I, I love kind of seeing like, I think he's he's inverting political expectations, but mm-hmm. he's not. It's not he's not apolitical. It's yeah, early oh, no, it, right? absolutely. Like Mount of Olives is exactly where you would assemble your army to stage an attack town, on yeah. Jerusalem. Absolutely. So it's <laughs> it's coming in, but that's the moment. Oh 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 oh! At the descent, holy moly. I just saw something. Verse 37. Mm-hmm. As he was drawing near, which is the same verb as when the, the kingdom is drawing near, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, already to the descent, Katabase, the descent, mm-hmm. right? He will, it is on the Mount of Olives in Luke 24 and again in Acts 1 where he will ascend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Anabane, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it might be, Be- it might be Bethany. I could be wrong, but the verbs definitely have, uh, possible illusion. Maybe not. It could, that's also just the normal word that you would use. Um, yeah, but they were, he led them gets- out as far as Bethany. So no, but Bethany and Bethany and the Mount of Olives are all near to each other as is clear from the beginning. See when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany yes. at the Mount that is called all of that place. So it's up on the mountain mm-hmm. is where he ascends mm-hmm. the end of Luke. Mm-hmm. Whereas here he's coming down the Mount mm-hmm. of Olives yeah. into Jerusalem unto his death, right? So you got yeah. this descent yeah. that anticipates his ascent, perhaps. Yeah, good. And that know. gets lost a little bit in 37 in the translation I read because it just says uh, he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like you don't get the descent. That's one of those things. Translation is so hard because, like, that is really good dynamic equivalence. That yeah. captures yeah what it's the saying. Big, yeah. Right. But sometimes when you do that, then you might miss little uh, Liter- plays on words. Literary yes. connections. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a hard call. It's always a hard call. That's why when people ask me, like, I mean, my, my teens at my Bible study are always asking me, like, what 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 version should we use? And I say... <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All of them. Like, no. I mean, have a few and get to know what their styles are and then compare. And that will get, and I said, you'll get 90% of the insights that I get using original language just from comparing translation. Yeah. Yep. That's enough, you know. Well, awesome. This has been fun. The only last thing to talk about, uh, and maybe we'll come back to it later, is uh, then this little moment at the end when the Pharisees rebuke him, mm-hmm. telling him, teacher, rebuke your disciples, which. Yeah really even fits with uh he's creating expectation mm-hmm. like whoa this is yeah you know either because it's blasphemy or because it's although this this language of hosanna yeah he's the king i don't know he's like tell tell your disciples to stop getting people excited uh we're all gonna die <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but if these were silent the stones would shout out mm-hmm that how yours has it the stones would shout out that's uh-huh. nice yeah what version you said you're using nrsv nrsv so this must be an old nrsv in here so i'd cry out i think it's nrsv i it's love shout out that's great Wesley study bible oh i see this is revised standard not rsv, RSV. yeah old school yeah that's man. cool though yeah yeah that's fine the stones will shout out that's great that's great yeah 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 well this has been a good conversation so far. Let's take a short break and when we come back, maybe we'll dig in a little deeper and maybe explore the deeper meanings or other meanings that we want to talk about. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Hey. <laughs> So we went on an hour break and we got a bunch of commentaries out. No, no. just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so I, I uh, already mentioned this earlier, but the, there were two things about why I really wanted to bring you in for Palm Sunday in particular in terms of your interests. One is um, 
liturgical theology, worship, that kind of stuff. And the, you know, some of the pageantry of Palm Sunday raises some fun questions about what is it that we do in Sunday worship? Maybe we'll get into that in the third section, but in the middle section here, it was this other interest of yours, which is political theology mm-hmm. and theopolitical reflection. And I just feel like this passage is just dripping with stuff. We've already bumping into them, mm-hmm. but, uh, Again, you can just riff off the passage or riff wherever you want to go, but tell me what some thoughts are brewing in your head, even as you're reading this and talking today and other things that you've prepared and sermons you've worked on Mm. around Jesus as king, but not king, you know, in the normal way, right? Like, um, and again, it's like we're moving from exegesis to interpretation. So if you want to draw on broader sources beyond just the passage in front of us, that's fine. I just would love to hear you riff a little in in your Theo theopolitical mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you were preaching on this passage yeah. and you wanted to drop some subtle hints, you know, and, and, and hint at, or maybe not so subtle hints at some of the theopolitical formation that, that is so crucial to your own thought as a preacher and teacher. This might be a weird one to start with, but I'm Go just weird. kind of going, Go weird. I'm just kind of, I flipped the page. Um, Cause all of this is on one page in in my Bible. And I'm kind of going, how did I never notice that it's like right after this in Luke that he cleanses the temple? Whereas in John, it's like mm. chapter two or something. So weird. That he flips the tables over and <laughs> drives out the. <laughs> um, so, which of course is, uh, is such a uh, jarring act you know yeah. that people i mean I, I it always bugs me when i hear people cite the flipping over the money changers tape tables and driving the you know driving the animals out of the temple as like evidence that jesus uses violence <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's yeah. setting animals free he's using a whip to right, set right, animals right, free right, right. and he's and he's saying my my father's house will be a house of prayer you know you've made it a den of robbers but like at, at best, it justifies his uh, anger. <laughs> yeah, and pra- if if violence, it's violence on behalf of the oppressed only. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, not by way of invasion into someone else's uh, territory, right? <laughs> his home. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just seeing that That's right on made, the tail in all the, three. Yeah, in, in all the synoptics three. in in Mark. Uh, I've just been spending time in John. John, lately, so it was in and, your mind. Yeah, but, I like this is this happens. You know, almost at the beginning of his ministry and in the synoptics, it's right here, right after the triumphal entry. Just being reminded of that uh, casts the whole thing in in a more deeply political light. Yeah, he, uh, Mark, just to throw some, yeah, since you brought up John, just kind of so, so Mark has this very interesting dynamic where Jesus marches into Jerusalem has a little teaching and conflict, leaves, mm-hmm. spends the night at Bethany. Mm-hmm. So you get this in and out vibe, much clearer in Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come back in the next day, and that's when he clears the house. Okay. Yeah. Now, Matthew and um, Luke both foreshorten it and put it on the same day. So it's in this – the sequence is the same in the sense of it's the mm-hmm. next big act. Mm-hmm. It's like the next symbolic prophetic thing he does after riding on the donkey is the clearing of the temple. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a fundamental agreement between the three synoptics mm-hmm. that, that he rides in yep. and soon after, yep. either yep. that day, next day, yeah. um, there's the clearing of the temple. Um, and 
And then John just does this weird thing where he just sticks at the beginning. Yeah. Although interestingly, during Passover. It is during Passover. Yeah. But two years earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right after the baptism and he calls the disciples and then like first right thing. Away. Yeah. First so thing. bizarre. I mean, John A.T. Robinson, who always has these crazy theories, but he, he's kind of, he loved to, after the discovery. the honest to God guy? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. He, that stuff's like. That's his pop. That's you know. That book is so um, uh, shallow, in my humble opinion. <laughs> Not very humble. But he is a fantastic New Testament scholar. Uh-huh. And, like, that's where he cut his teeth. And he's really good. And he was working right when there was these Dead Sea Scrolls discoveries as well uh-huh. as other manuscripts uh-huh. that really changed our thinking about John, mm-hmm. which tended to be thought as very late. Maybe even second century, people thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys like Boltman and stuff thought mm-hmm. the final forms, second century, it's being mm-hmm. influenced by Greek, you know, mm-hmm. mysticism and Greek philosophy. Um, and you can read, you know, logos and all that, that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. But all the, when the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, that on the one hand, yeah. in the, in the, right after World War II made us see that actually a lot of this imagery in John was, you know, happening in Aramaic in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, using the Hebrew alphabet in the world of Palestine. And so mm-hmm. it makes it seem all of a sudden John looks like a lot more Palestinian of a book and may mm-hmm. not be. Because one way to explain the weird things of John is that he's so he's coming so much later that he's saying, yeah, yeah, you've heard it told one way. I'm going to tell you the weird way. Right. Which I still tend to lean that way. But there's a strong case to be made that he's just so independent from the synoptics mm-hmm. and maybe even earlier mm-hmm. or at least different. Yeah. That he's just not even aware of the way they're making the case of how to order the and events. the chronology. Yeah. Yeah. So his chronology, because his chronology is so weird and all mm. over the place. Yeah. And, but, you know, I mean, I'm more inclined to think that these are literary, uh, yeah. uh freedoms that he's taking with the story almost right. to kind of say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like we were talking, I think earlier this week about how he doesn't have the institution of the last supper. Right. He kind of puts it a year earlier. Yeah, at, at the at another Passover in John six at the feeding of five thousand, mm-hmm. another story that all the other synoptics has. Yeah, but he layers the he's yeah. the only one who puts it at the time of Passover. Yeah, so he I think John's I read John as someone who's taking liberties with the chronology in order for us to see insights. Yeah, to kind of see his whole story yep. through a different lens. Um, but that's not to say that I just think that the synoptic chronology is absolutely correct either. Cause there's no right. reason to th- why wouldn't Jesus have gone to Jerusalem every year? Right. Th- that's actually pretty plausible. Whereas Luke presents yeah. as so did Matthew Mark, but especially Luke, it's all about he's in Galilee for a while. Then he marches on Jerusalem. Then he shows up at Jerusalem. Yeah. So I think Luke might be taking literary liberties too, in another direction to try to minimize Jesus's presence in Jerusalem yeah. in order to make this event more, uh, shocking. Right. This bi- there's all this buildup, um, which does, I think, you know, the more some of the political aspects, I think, really come out in Luke more because it's been this buildup of setting his sights on Jerusalem and, yeah. you know, collecting up disciples, you know, so he's got this huge crowd with him by the time he gets there. So well, this, I don't think we should think of these crowds as people coming out from Jerusalem. Yeah. Luke makes it really clear because they're up on the mountain. Mm. So this is a crowd that he brought with him mm-hmm. from all the villages. Mm-hmm. You know, basically as this is a group of pilgrims coming down to Passover with him, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in this, uh, I don't want to be too, get too nerdy it. on, on meta level kind of Do it. This thinking, is meta time, the right. But well, <laughs> we no, it just, it just, uh, as we're talking about how we make sense of the different chronologies and the, and the, you know, the parallelism and, and differences between the gospels, it just reminds me that, um, and this, you know, sometimes I say this, especially in a parish context and it freaks people out, but like, I really think that to take the gospel seriously, um, as 
literature, like mm-hmm. as writing mm-hmm. that like, and to make sense of those continuities and discontinuities, we have to see how, how much more they have in common with how we think of literature or even fiction yeah. than how we think of history. Yeah. Right. Like how we think of historical narrative, we think of it like, you know, there's some court stenographer sitting in the corner right, 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 taking right. shorthand notes Isn't on everything. History then. Yeah. That's not they how they wrote history. Literary approach to history. Um, Douglas Templeton, uh, Edinburgh New Testament mm-hmm. scholar wrote this book called The New Testament is True Fiction. And he, um, he kind of explores the way that, you know, that fiction, fiction is not the opposite of fact. It contains facts and it mm-hmm. can incorporate history and, you know, fact and, and to get at truth. And so, um, what are they really interested in here? Not, you know, how did it exactly happen? How did, what, what exactly was said, but, how in what can order? We, in what <laughs> order? Yeah. This is not. Um, but yeah, how do we tell the story in a yeah, way that... Yeah, because meaning is rendered by the order in which a story is told. Absolutely. And sometimes you have to move something somewhere else for the story to be more truthful. Right. Even if it contradicts alternative accounts of the chronology. So that like, if you were to move John's, you know, clearing of the temple to another time... It, it, it ruin like you in order to create harmonizations between the four gospels, uh-huh. you actually have to undermine the literary artistry mm-hmm. of the gospels and in the process undermine their truthfulness. So in order to yeah. protect their facticity, mm-hmm. to use a distinction, yeah. Yeah. you actually would lose their veracity, their sense of truth, mm-hmm. like a truthful presentation of Jesus. Yeah. Faithful, the, truthful. That's right. The faithful, yeah. truthful portrait, the portrait of Jesus that Luke wants us to see is this one who gathered this community mm-hmm. and marched on Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you have him going to Jerusalem every year, it's just going to ruin the story. Yeah. <laughs> and in the same way, John, for some, whatever reason, and there's lots of reasons why we won't get into it because it's not our passage, but right. thinks that perhaps that the clearing of the temple will, will obscure our view of Jesus if we put it where it belongs according to the other three. Yeah. Um, I mentioned A.T. Robinson earlier. I didn't finish the thought. I, I, I come, I, not because of you, I interrupted myself, but <laughs> as you know, I do, but I mentioned the other things about John being independent, but specifically he tries to argue that um, and this is not, this is a minority view. Nobody, very few people agree with it, but it's fascinating mm. that actually John is retaining the more original chronology mm. because Jesus started out as a more revolutionary figure mm-hmm. and was more in John the Baptist's tradition. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he transitions away from that mm. into his more suffering servant, mm. a different reading of Isaiah, mm. as it were. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't buy that, mm. but like a lot of, like a lot of theories, they help you see something. Yeah. They help you right. see that, okay, John, at least that is helpful in reading John mm-hmm. as having a different agenda, Yeah, you know, yeah. and the, the subtle differentiation between John the Baptist and Jesus is an important theme in John mm-hmm. much, a lot more about yeah. John the Baptist in the book of John than any of the others. Yeah, right. So, so then that brings us back to Luke. So Luke is clearly trying to, you know, highlight, and that's why I say like it really, um, even this stones cry out thing that brings us back to John the Baptist because he says this exact same line mm-hmm. back in Luke, uh, Luke three. Um, I'll look it up real quick. Luke three, verse eight. Um, Therefore bring forth fruits in keeping with your repentance and do not begin to yourselves 
say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Mm -hmm. I just thought I'd mention that to say like, there's a little bit of a kind of a allusion back to that. Mm -hmm. The stones will cry out, right? If they're silent, even the stones will cry out. Um, I don't know how that might be relevant, but it definitely has a callback to John. I, I mean, I don't know. I think. I think Luke might be presenting Jesus in more continuity with John the Baptist, mm. which fits the opening. He ha- he's the only one who has all those stories about how they're cousins. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So Luke might be presenting Jesus as a little slightly, I think the continuity is stronger mm. uh, between Jesus and John the Baptist, which then doubles back to um, political theology, right? And, yeah. Because and, yeah, yeah. the political edge of John the Baptist is pretty pretty easy to see it's like this guy's edgy yeah countercultural. yeah telling the you know like the 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 soldiers that come out right and say should we that's another one of those uh favorite proof texts for Mm. uh defending (laughs) violence in the name but but he said right he said you know he says what should we do and he says you know stop extorting people again it's one of those passages where you read it in context and the point is yeah, that the, these, the oppressed. This is state. Yeah, this is state violence. <laughs> justice. Yeah, my notes in my study Bible. Um, this is the Wesley study Bible that Ooh. Abingdon put out. Classy. Um, but they point out that um, Jesus's entrance is a counter display to Herod's annual entrance into oh. Jerusalem. Uh, fr- uh, to the east from uh, from Caesarea. Maritima to the east, and so Herod came to Jerusalem. Oh, and he summered up and was and was riding a mighty war horse, escorted by an entourage of soldiers. And his purpose was to demonstrate the emperor's power over the city and suppress any challenges to Roman domination. Jesus comes into the city at the same time at the at the start of the Passover, but from the opposite direction. Whoa! And is riding a borrowed colt or donkey, escorted by unarmed disciples. Right. To demonstrate the kingship of God, to offer peace, um, and these, you know, whoever wrote this bit of commentary says, people understand Jesus' redefinition of power, and the Pharisees fear Jesus' challenged Roman domination and call for him to stop this nonviolent challenge to a violent regime. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. I, th- I think Jesus' intent is clear, I think, for us and for Luke in the way that he's presenting it. I'm sure that the people You wonder are, about the Because, <laughs> I mean, he might be saying, yeah, I'm not going to do it because God's going to rain down plagues right. to run the Romans out. Right? I mean, <laughs> or whatever. I, yeah. You can still take it as – this is clearly a yeah. challenge, right? This is a direct um, challenge to the yeah. authority of Herod, the authority of Pilate, the authority of Rome. Um and and then with the temple, the authority of the Sadducees and their kind of uh, compromised uh, temple. You know? mm-hmm. um, so this is a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty stark. And that's why it's kind of it's very fitting to actually have Luke um, having the Pharisees because Pharisees and Luke often kind of show up. They're, they're not just pure bad guys the way they come out in Matthew. Right? Mm-hmm. In Luke, they're a little bit more. Occasionally, they're trying to help him out. You know, they're saying, hey. Herod's trying to kill you. Maybe you should go. You know, there, there's a conflict there. Just like in John, we have, you know, Nicodemus as a kind of Pharisee who's kind of trying to help Jesus out, you know. Um, not, but not fully getting it. But, you know, he's, he's, he, yeah. he stands up to defend Jesus in the Sanhedrin in, in John chapter right. eight or seven or eight. Um, 
But here you get in 39, some Pharisees, Mm -hmm. because it's not that in in Matthew, this story about them rebuking him is the chief priests and the scribes, which actually fits the context a little bit more. Like Mm. they're, they're the power chief priests are, are down in Jerusalem, but here it's Pharisees who would have been also coming down, possibly even Galilean Pharisees, Mm. friends, people he knows, people he debates with, you know, but, uh, he has more in common with Pharisees than any other group at the Mm. time. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost as if he's saying, whoa, rebuke your disciples. Like, this is getting out of hand. You yeah. don't want to get We're gonna yourself killed. We're going to get us killed. in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, you Especially s- when you start, blessed is the king. Yeah. Who comes in the name of the Lord at the time when... Um, Careful. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, of course, the Pharisees were slightly more revolutionary. And, of course, they had debates within them. But they definitely had the strong, a strong sense that Roman occupation was a fundamental, like... Uh, <laughs> problem mm. and there they had an approach that said if we follow the law to the t uh god will save us we'll get the romans out of here as yeah. a reward for our for our faithfulness to the law you know so um so they wanted god to come down and mm-hmm. kill the romans you know <laughs> yeah. but he's like but you know <laughs> don't kill us first yeah right, right, right. let's take this time this just right you know like right. they might even be saying rebuke your dis- rebuke your disciples wait till the passover <laughs> you know like this is too soon we have five, yeah. four or five more days right because right. the assumption is that's the day when god's gonna come right it's mm. passover right yeah. that's that would make sense yes, on, their, it would. on their history <laughs> yeah that's the thing you put it against its old testament background the political dimension just yeah. screams out right you know? right um for them to declare him king yeah. in the way that, uh, and I, I was flipping <gasps> That's ahead. That's only in Luke. It's blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Mark and Matthew, only Luke has blessed is the king who comes in the name yeah. of the Lord. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. You were starting to say something. Well, I, just I was just thinking, that. I was just thinking about, and I, I can't remember if it, if, if they say it in, in Luke, the way they, sorry, I keep flipping to John in my that's mind okay. because that's where you've been yeah because that's where I've been Didn't hanging you pre- out you've been working on a sermon from what 1819 yeah 1819 um but that's you know the, the scene before Pilate ends with the the chief priests saying you know we have no king but Caesar right you know um and 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 even kind of threatening Pilate like uh you know if you don't do something about this guy who you're no friend of Caesar. you're no friend of Caesar <laughs> yes. because if you don't do something about this guy who claims to be king you know then you're allowing him to undermine Caesar's authority, but here's this whole group of people saying, oh, yeah, "Blessed is the king." Who yeah, because John's uh, John's um, uh, presentation of the triumph is very brief, right. and it's focused more on Lazarus and the excitement of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. And all, like it, the all the energy is put other places in the way that John presents it. Yeah. So the way to get his more political stuff is the. What mm-hmm. I'm trying to say is often with uh, you can when you're doing parallel work with mm-hmm. John and the synoptics, mm-hmm. the temptation is to look at the place where he talks about the same events, mm-hmm. which is usually not very illuminating. What's illuminating is to think, where does he deal with these themes? Because it'll yeah. often show up somewhere totally different. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the dialogue with Pilate is like five times longer in John in any than the synoptics. synoptics yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, that was a, a excursus of support for what you're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me what you were thinking with the, the Pharisee. Oh, no, not conclusion I mean, to that thought. Just Sorry. thinking about the, the, the radical challenge of declaring Jesus as King, as he rides in, in this way, um, but what, but which King, the King who comes ah. in the name of the Lord. Yeah, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Um, 
what kind of king are they yeah. looking for and what kind of king do they get? Yeah, king of shalom, of peace, of justice, right? Um, <laughs> that makes the rebuke click then with Pilate because Pilate says, are you a king? And mm-hmm. Jesus says, you've said so. And it's like yeah. this classic Jesus like, I'm not going to say no because I am. I'm not going to say yes because what you think by king is not who I am. Right, right. right. And you get the same thing here. He doesn't say he's a king. They call him king. Right. Pharisees push back on it. Yeah. And he says. Tell them to stop. And he's like, stones will cry out. Yeah. It's kind of like, I can tell them to shut up if I want. Mm-hmm. But like, like, he's basically saying there is witness to my kingship taking place. But yeah. I'm not going to come out and just say I'm yeah. a king because I'm not the kind of king you think I am. Right. So it, it really matches Pilate, yeah. I think, really well. Does the, um, I don't know if this is worth going into but like where where does the lectionary go next this is palm sunday yeah so like is the next passage like do we miss a bunch and then skip right on to the yeah so that's a that's a tricky thing maybe let's let's take a quick break and come back and get into that uh-huh. problem of holy week yeah and what to do with palm sunday and easter and good friday and because it's, like, that's maybe it's, what we can focus it's on. not ir- it's not uh, it's not irrelevant to to the interpretation discussion or the application that's discussion right. to think. Well, also, just something else that came to mind is that this is it's Palm Sunday, but this version, uh, this this text for the year that we're in doesn't have any mention of palm branches. There's no. <laughs> yes, I know. I noticed that, too. Yeah, that's wild. Well, let's yeah. take a quick break and then come back to that and get yeah. into the practice. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a bunch of things. We've got the palm branches problem, <laughs> right? Which is in uh, from my research uh, this morning because I was I noticed that and it bothered me, and I was like, <laughs> "Did I miss something?" Is classic example only in John? Mm. There's so much stuff that's only in John that we right. read into the synoptics, right? Um, and vice versa. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so that is interesting right away, right? Um, there's not even branches in Luke. So Mar- Matthew and Mark have branches, but they're not palm branches. They're just, just branches from trees. Huh. Matthew is cladus. It's uh, it just, um, e- e- no, it's a uh, ecopton cladus apotone dedrone. So it's just, uh, you know, uh, others cut branches from the trees, right? <laughs> and spread them on the road. And then Mark has, um, um, you know, stibadas, uh, Santas, ek, ton, argon, you know, uh, others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Leafy so they, branches. Yeah. Um, no branches of any kind with Luke, just the coats. Yeah. They have the coats too, the other guys. I just yeah. skipped that part. And then John has no coats, only palm branches from palm trees. So that's what, what chapter in John? Um, is that? John's 12, 12, verse 13, that would be. Mm, mm-hmm. So again, these aren't, there's not a surface contradiction here. Luke just doesn't mention it. Yeah. Mark and Matthew don't specify the kind of tree. They don't say it's sycamore tree, right? So you don't, so you can see why, and this is one of these fundamental problems though, especially I always, 
especially religious art, mm-hmm. right? Because like we we talked about this uh, just just uh, on I think it's last week's pod with Mandy about how the woman, uh, you know, the woman in in Luke seven who the the, the prostitute who the woman of the city who uh, washes the feet, yeah. and Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany who mm-hmm. washes the feet later, yeah, all get combined as Collapsed. this one figure yeah, yeah. but like from a sort of art point of view or from a kind of dramatic point of view like if you yeah. were to have a mystery play in the middle ages right which right. is the predecessor of like modern film or what you know like yeah. if, sure you know or if you were to have or paintings mm-hmm. like there's something powerful about because there are connections there are thematic yep. connections between these but yep. then it creates confusions in our heads and it's another thing where if you're going to draw a a stained glass window of the triumphal entry. You're mm-hmm. not going to write the triumphal entry according to Luke, you know, like right. you're going to combine all of them. Right. And like, the church has been very strict about not uh, substituting um, a scholarly harmonization for the four gospels. There was an right. attempt at this, the diatessaron by Titian mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. early centuries that was rejected. Yeah. So the church early on said the fourfold gospel, we're, we're going to keep each witness speaking mm-hmm. for itself, which yeah. I appeal to often when I highlight that we should let them speak. Yeah. Right. But church art has never held. Church art is always harmonizing. <laughs> right. And I mean, art in every sense, drama, image, uh, and preaching ha- just has to kind of synthesize a little bit Yeah. because we want to paint a picture like as a text, I can keep them separate. But when I start to paint a picture, I'm going to see palm branches in my head. There's no way for me not to, yeah. <laughs> even if Luke doesn't mention it, you know, and this raises these, these perennial questions in liturgical practice and worship practice of like, what are we doing with like Palm Sunday? Like, what are we trying to enact? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up at a church that did nothing on Holy week, sometimes good Friday services. Mm -hmm. Usually if there was some one with other churches that we did, it wasn't our thing. Yeah. Community. Good Friday service. We would do Palm Sunday and a week later, Resurrection. Res from the dead. And it's kind of yeah. like, now I grew up in a church where Jesus was dying every week because the preaching was always cross-centered. So yeah. it kind of didn't hurt that we kind of <laughs> had these two weeks of triumph, you know? Right. Um, but still, it, it, it it's tricky because Palm Sunday assumes, like you said about the lectionary, I mean, if you go to the lectionary website on Vanderbilt, you know, then there's there's texts for the whole week. Right. You're week. supposed to have, yeah. And if you have the whole week, Palm Sunday makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Because you do all those other days, you know? Um that's why there has been this newer tradition that I mentioned we had a choice at the beginning of the mm-hmm. pod, mm-hmm. that there's this, there's this newer tradition. I don't know when it started. Maybe you know, because you know about this stuff more than me, but of like calling it Passion Sunday and having mm. the alternative is that you do kind of – because so many people only come on Sunday to right, right. basically do your Good Friday service on, on Sunday. Palm Sunday. The, yeah. Um, I, so never, that you can do cross and then you can do resurrection for the, yeah. yeah. Now that's on one level. Sunday I like crowd. Yeah. That's, that's accommodating yeah. the Sunday only crowd. It's a little confusing for those who, if you're still practicing a good Friday service yeah. and it's a bummer to miss out on Palm Sunday. Cause it's, it's fun to see the kids come in waving their, <laughs> right. Waving their <laughs> Although, palm, palm branches. I feel like we're mostly celebrating how cute kids are on Palm Sunday. <laughs> I think we do a lot of things in church that are mostly about <laughs> Yeah. celebrating either our cute kids or our fondness for our mothers and fathers or yeah. soldiers or whatever it might my, be. My first staff gig, the only thing I got to do on Sunday morning was the children's sermon. Yeah. And like the pastor really wanted me to like turn them around facing the people yeah. with my back to them. Right. You know, so we can see their cute faces, you yeah, know? Right. And I was like, I don't 
want them to perform. I want to talk to the kids as if they're a congregation and yeah. preach to them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I gave in. He won. He was the boss. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Does your church, have you always been in churches that would practice the Palm Sunday kind of thing? Um, no, not always. Okay. Um, I mean, I even growing up, I remember uh, Palm Sunday being focused on the triumphal entry and being kind of the start to Holy Week. Uh, and we would typically probably, like you described, have a good Friday service. Um, only later into like probably my teenager college years did um, any other like mo- like a Monday Thursday service start to come mm. into into vogue in evangelical churches right. you know sometime in the i don't know mid to late 90s apparently in yeah. my experience um and uh and any mention of whether we did a service or not of saturday as part of the right. <laughs> as part of the story as well um but there was always that tendency you know to even treat good friday as kind of Sunday's coming. Like we we don't do right, real, we right, don't do right, real right, well right. at like allowing the the uh, the story to unfold at, in its own timing. We we t- we tend to want to have Good Friday services that that fast forward to the resurrection, and then we tend to want to have Easter Sunday services that keep looking back That's to right. the cross and singing, you know, singing nothing but the blood of Jesus on. Sunday morning or something like that. Well, a lot um, of worship planning is built around the notion without even consciously thinking it sometimes of ironically, this is better if you're conscious about it rather than doing it on accident is just this kind of, well, what if this is the only time someone's here Yeah, kind of thinking, right. 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 And then that leads to these kinds of incoherences where we try to say everything we need to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And instead of thinking that we're building yeah, on we're inviting the people into a story. And yes, there are ways of doing that. That's why I say it's better if you, if you're think if you're thinking this might be the only time or the first time someone's here, I think that's a great thing to actually think about as opposed sure. to have it be just this pressure exerted on you unconsciously. That's where it's a problem. I think if it's conscious, then you can actually say, well, we don't want to alienate people unnecessarily, but at the mm-hmm. same time, we want to invite people into something larger than themselves, mm-hmm. which people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah. People don't want to go to a church and find out that that church has never done anything before until they showed up. Right. It's yeah. okay to say, you know, yeah. Join us. Don't say, as you know, last week, blah, blah, blah. Don't say that. That makes a person feel alienated. Yeah. Right. But you can say, you know, um, for those who are not here and for those who even were here, but forget last week yeah. that that works. Yeah. Right. That sort yeah. of, um, invites people into something larger. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. Learning to stay with it. The drama in mean, Holy Week's all about drama, the unfolding drama. Well, and what, know? and, and, and that raises one of the problems seems to me with what to do with Palm Sunday is that it's, yeah. it's just this, it's this interesting little vignette, but it, there's really no, like, doesn't resolve. It doesn't kind of, <laughs> it doesn't, uh, lead to some sort of tidy, um, application or takeaway right it's it's uh it's kind of the the beginning of uh i mean it's not the beginning of jesus ministry but it's the beginning of this beginning of the end, holy week right? narrative. Yeah. it's the beginning of the end and it's the beginning of the the final kind of movement toward cross and then resurrection um and so yeah i often find myself thinking like what you know what 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 do we do with this or what do I want? What do I want my congregation to do with this? You know, I think, um, yeah, we're not I, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I was saying an idea just popped in my head. Um, let me float it and see what you think of it. Um, 
and and it's it's kind of taking a cue from the way that uh, the worship team at my local church has started doing uh, Christ the King Sunday mm-hmm. as the last Sunday of the liturgical years. What they do is yep. they do a overview of the whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've really been to that. Cool. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but it's like a version of that. You could do a holy, like you could make Palm Sunday Holy Week Sunday, mm-hmm. where you kind of act out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of doing going backtracking on Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. that'd be a great week to not have a regular sermon, actually, mm-hmm. which is fitting for the because we're not like sermon prepping, which is what we normally do at the end of this podcast. But I want to like actually run with it and say maybe this is the year to not preach a straight sermon on Holy on Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. but take a cue from the fact that. If your church already does the palm branches thing, that means that you're already used to doing some kind of dramatic yeah. representation. Yeah. Why not just tell the rest of the story up to a point, maybe mm-hmm. right before Good Friday mm-hmm. and tell everybody come back on Good Friday. You know what I mean? But like, or Monday, Thursday, like build it up. Yeah. And there's even moments and you could act it all out. You could pick, pick, pick just pick Luke even because mm-hmm. there's some dialogue. So you'd still have preaching. Yeah. You could have someone acting Jesus and reading you know, re- they could read because there's a lot of teaching. Yeah. You know? I don't know. That just suddenly hit me that that could be a really great Sunday for because it's a Sunday people already used to um, dramatic reenactment of scripture. Yeah. And it's like that can feel a little that can feel a little cheesy and distracting for some people who are used to hearing a long sermon every week. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it's a Sunday that they're already used to it, it might be less jarring. Yeah. I don't know. That's just that thought popped in my head that that would make for a great Palm Sunday. You know. If not this year, then next year, you know, people listening to this pod are only going to have, you know, six A couple days. weeks. Yeah, they've already, hopefully they've already got a plan. Less than that. This drops Monday before. Yeah, yeah hopefully they've already got a plan. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you already have this year planned. But uh, again, if you don't, <laughs> yeah. hey, here's an idea for you. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just uh, act it out? Because I think, you know, when I look at Luke, it's, it's, uh, it's 19, 20, uh, and 21, because 22 kind of starts the last you know, so if you, you could do those three chapters, like mm-hmm. really act them out mm-hmm. and you could have people memorize some of the sermons of Jesus or just have someone who plays Jesus, read them. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have absent plays Jesus every time. It's like, yeah, he's good. our local Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was an idea. What, how, how does that strike you as a worship guru? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's great. I think anyway, I mean, I always approach... Uh, and ever since we started doing Lent in general, which of course that's another thing we could talk about, is the tie-in from like the palm branches to to next right. year's a- next year's ashes, and yeah. and um, but ever since we've started observing Lent in the churches that I've served, and again, it's only been in like the last decade or so that we've started doing Ash Wednesday and mm-hmm. do, even talking about the season of Lent as a time of preparation for Easter and. Um, and Holy Week itself, and it, my goal is always just to try to approach it in a uh, a narrative way. How are we being invited into this story? Where do we find ourselves in this story? Where mm. where do we? So you know, one one of the things that I've in the past tried to kind of focus on uh, on Palm Sunday at the beginning of this final story of. Uh, of the passion narrative is that, you know, we're, we go from being those people in the crowd saying, Uh, yeah, 
blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and laying down our waving our palm branches, laying down our, our cloaks. And, and, and we, we kind of see ourselves in, in the crowd welcoming Jesus and hailing him, uh, and Hosanna, Lord save us and all of this. But then, then, and then Thursday we're, you know, we see ourselves in the upper room with him and Mm -hmm. he's, you know, um, share, he's washing our feet. He's, you know, he's sharing, the symbols of his broken body shed blood with us. Then we're, you know, then we're the disciples failing to stay awake with him in the, right. in the garden. Uh, but then where are we on good Friday? We're in the crowd that's saying, give us Barabbas. We're yeah, in the crowd crucify. saying, crucify him. And we have no King, but Caesar. Um, and trying to help people experience it in that way. Like, where do we, um, where do we locate our, ourselves in the story? Um, Jesus is still the, the main character, but you know, we've, we tend, we tend to just focus on his experience and maybe sort of trying to uh, apply his experience and his suffering to our, mm-hmm. our lives and our experience. And, um, but miss that, you know, we're those faithless disciples or yeah. we're those fickle crowds that sort of, um, you know, that just a few days ago were welcoming him as King and now are, ready to string him up, you know? Yeah. I think that's a beautiful place to end to even think prayerfully, even just this passage itself. Right. Like, and it's a out of, it's a place out of which I often prep sermons, uh, is to just ask, where am I in this story? Mm -hmm. Where are my people in this story? Mm -hmm. And sometimes a sermon will center around one character. Sometimes it'll be a few, it'll be Mm -hmm. asking the people, you know, are you a disciple of Jesus being asked to do something? that you don't understand and you just have to trust and say, the Lord has needed it, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. Are you, are you in the crowds, you know, celebrating Jesus? Is this a time of worship for you? Um, and savor that, right? Like not running to application by what, you know, it's, it's funny that, you know, observation, interpretation, application corresponds loosely to the ancient practice of lectio, meditatio, mm. oratio, or contemplatio, mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, the third is a little different. The, the, so Lectio reading, just mm-hmm. paying attention, mm-hmm. noticing, and then Meditatio would be interpreting, chewing it over, mm-hmm. right? But Oratio and Contemplatio are more moving towards – application comes out of seeing yourself in the story mm-hmm. and letting the story imbibe you, you know? And, <laughs> and like <clears throat> that's a great way to start in worship prep and in preaching prep is just to say, where am I in this story? Where might my people find themselves in this story and trust that some of the application will emerge and not always rush it to say, mm-hmm. oh, do X, do do Y, right? Yeah. But just simply say, who do I resonate with in this story? And what is Jesus saying to me? You know, because your, your big characters would be, I mean, you really have three if you want a three-point sermon, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have disciples yep. learning to trust, right, and obey. You have mm-hmm. the people celebrating Jesus. But you can mention that, but beware mm-hmm. about be, being a fickle crowd, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you have the Pharisees rebuking Jesus. Mm-hmm. Are you the one who's <clears throat> trying to shut down the worship of someone else <laughs> out mm-hmm. of fear, resentment, whatever, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, there could be something to play with there. Um, and you could obviously do that on the whole of Holy Week, yeah, sure, out. sure, sure. So that could combine with the earlier idea that we had. Yeah.
Well, I mean, what would you? Oh, oh, no, go ahead, say it. No, say I was it. just gonna. <clears throat> I was just gonna see since um, you know, since you often are talking about you know how do you how do you preach it, and maybe you just told me, but like if you were, <laughs> what's your like what's your big you know big idea takeaway from this this text if you were if you were writing the sermon on it? Yeah, I think. I mean, those were kind of more. Uh, starting points for reflection. But if yeah. I were to kind of have a, if I were preaching this text this Sunday, which I am not, um, again, it would depend a lot on some services, some years, some, some days more than others would depend a little bit, a lot more on the teamwork with the worship team. Mm-hmm. This would be one where I'd want to have a lot of, you know what I mean? There's yeah. some weeks where you can just be like, you guys just do a good job. I'll do a good job. It'll work yeah. out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I, I hate saying that to a worship guy. I know no, it wasn't true. that way, but you can't 52 weeks out of the year get killer coordination. It's just, yeah. especially when you're working with volunteers or people, you know, yep, yep. <laughs> it's just, um, but this would be one week where that would be really important to me. That would actually be a great place to start is to meet with worship team early on and do the exercise. Where do you see yourself in the story? Mm-hmm. Where think, and now think of someone in the congregation that means a lot to you. Where do you think they're in the story? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but then in terms of sermon prep, uh, if I was coming up this week, ah, man, I got really jazzed. I know we barely spent any time on it, but I got really jazzed by the descent from the Mount of Olives. <laughs> I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it would then connect up to some of these subtle theopolitical reflections around what kind of King Christ is, right? He is one who descends first and then ascends, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, who empties himself, yes. who humbles so even himself. Even as he who... comes in triumph, we call it the triumphal entry and there's a reason <laughs> for that. But I mean, He's really coming in in descent, in humility, and emphasizing the colt versus a horse. Yeah, yeah. The people's coats rather than a red carpet. Yeah. And to to talk and it really in many ways would be a Philippians two yeah. sermon riffing off of Luke. Yeah. Simply on and playing with Mount of Olives. Yeah. That this is the place from which he descends from heaven, mm-hmm. you know, into the into the hell of our lives. Yeah. And the place from which he will ascend into heaven, yeah. drawing us with yeah. him into into communion with the Father, and that this overturns all the temples and tables and taxes of our world, you know, yeah. just kind of. So that there's the beginnings of a sermon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I walked behind you there earlier. I hope that wasn't too creepy. No, that's I, fine. I had a faint recollection that I had a had a poem on about uh, the triumphal entry in here. I don't know if it's any good. Who is it? <laughs> oh, it is good. I'm going to do it. This is from Kent Ira Groff. It's this, he, he went on the 40 day uh, Ignatian retreat, mm-hmm. um, which you and I've talked about. I, I got to go on a few years back and, but he did it in India. So mm-hmm. he was, that's so the tape, the title of his facing East praying West. Oh, so cool. it's this Western yeah. prayer process, yeah. but in this very Eastern context. Yeah. And so it was kind of, it's a really cool book. And then he wrote a poem every day. Connected mm-hmm. to his <laughs> more yeah. than every day, even yeah. he would write poems during his uh, prayer times. So this is so this is a prayer um, meditating on uh, this passage, Luke nineteen twenty eight through forty. So I'll pray this, and then we'll uh, um, say a few goodbyes and wrap it up. Sound good? I try to pray that I can pray with blaring noises. Horns and sirens, shrills of rickshaws, trucks and scooters, 
booming music, planes and trains, children's voices playing, crying, trills of birds in palms and mangoes. Hosanna in the highest, shout these voices of the lowest. What are these braying sounds I hear from the stable below my chapel loft? I close my eyes and visualize the scene. Christ now mounts, the fowl that pants beneath me. Its om, om, om becomes the om of all creation. I enter Holy City's center. Rabbi Jesus cleanses temple. Hollywood cannot create this set. You only close your eyes and let such dogged sounds be holy hounds of heaven in a temple of contemplation. That's Triumphal Distractions by Kent Ironcross. Nice. That every distraction be- can become the stones crying out. As yeah. Well. That's beautiful. Cool. This that is the writer's surprise. almanac. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. That was... <laughs> Yeah, That's well, good. you got anything to plug? Uh, anything coming up? This will drop in uh, in mid-April. So anything coming up later in April or May? Like, are you speaking anywhere or anything coming out that you want to just mention? It's okay if not. I just wanted to give you a chance if you, if you want no, to. No, I don't think so. Um, no. Nope. <laughs> no worries. I never have an answer to that except keep listening to fresh text make sure to right. subscribe and and uh and uh review us if you get a chance uh, that really helps the algorithm get people the word out about fresh text and so we thank you very much for listening thank you big time to brandon hancock our guest today thanks and thanks uh to eric uh fisher as always for his great production work and for tom adamson donating the music for this uh um pod so i think that's all the thank yous that pop in my head other than thanking the lord for all his wonderful bounty yes and i say to you all have a good preach and a great week